Hello and welcome to Oats for Breakfast. Oats for Breakfast is affiliated with the Socialist Project, which is an eco-socialist organization based in Toronto. My name is Sadia. And I'm Umer. Today we're going to be chatting with Benjamin Bilgen about the way in which Toronto's public transit system is policed. Benjamin is an independent journalist of sorts, uh, or that's what we're calling him today. He's a uh, he's written a couple pieces on the securitized nature of Toronto's transit system, and we'll link these pieces in the description to the episode. Welcome to the Oats for Breakfast podcast, Benjamin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So for those of our listeners who are maybe not in Toronto, um, the public transit system in Toronto, which is mostly managed by the Toronto Transit Commission, or the TTC, is a crucial city service. Close to 1.7 million people ride the TTC on any given weekday. This makes the TTC the most used public transit system in Canada and the third most used in North America, after New York and Mexico City. That's interesting, eh? That it's more used in, like, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Yeah. The TTC also happens to be quite securitized. Like Chicago. Like Chicago. (laughs) Is it? I've never been. I went to Chicago once. I rode the transit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you feel policed? (laughs) Uh, Not me personally, but I could see that there was stuff going on. Yeah, Mm. yes. Okay, so Benjamin, in one of the pieces that you wrote, you talked about a, a specific TTC subway station that has a kind of a layout that makes it easy to police. And that subway station actually is Jane Station, which um, happens to be on Jane Street, uh, a place where lots of low-income working people, lots of migrants live. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about that piece and what you've written. Okay, sure. So um, I can tell you like how I thought about the piece is because I was um, passing through Jane Station a lot because my girlfriend lives up there, you know, so I'd be passing through a lot. And I think the first time I passed through there, I I took the bus down to Jane Station and then I noticed that I had to pass through the fare gates again. I was like, oh, that's kind of different. You know, that doesn't usually happen. And I noticed the same thing. Like I had, I had purchased a fare. I got off at the subway at Jane Station, and I wanted to take the bus. And then I got on the bus, and the guy was like, oh, where's your fare? I was like, why do I need to yeah, present another I've had fare, the same you know? experience of taking the Jane bus to the station for like 20 years, and it's so maddening like how unevenly that uh, transaction happens across mm. the different subway stations. Yeah. Because at, compared to Old Mill, which is like right next, right the next subway stop over. Yeah. It's like the the drivers are really chill. Yeah. And like, and the thing is that you're within the subway station still at Jane, as you mm-hmm. are in Old Mill, but at Jane, the drivers are just so primed to be suspicious. Right, they assume you're a fair evader, you know, from the get-go. I mean, I usually am, to be honest. You should be profiled, <laughs> you know. You, you should, we should all be profiled <laughs> Or maybe, you know, the transition just be free. And then, yeah, yeah, that's the goal. That's, yeah. That's utopia. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that, yeah. So anyway, so I noticed this strange system. And I started to think about, like, why aren't other subway stations designed in this way? You know, there's something unique about Jane Station. And, And it turns out Jane Station isn't the only station where this happens. Like you said, like at Old Mill, there's also, um, 
like there's only one corridor that leads to the subway entrance mm-hmm. and then there's no other entrances there like to get on the bus but the difference with old mill is that there's no um attached bus terminal you know but jane station specifically has like a place secluded from the rest of the street so you know it, it seems like it would be easier to like install presto gates there just to have people enter the bus terminal and then use the whole thing but yeah that's not what happens um yeah and the difference with old mill also is that there's fewer black people at old old mill yeah that's true yeah <laughs> no it's so true and, and like at jane what's been so frustrating that i've noticed so often is that even when buses are running really late or they're bunching up recently i was at the station we were waiting for like half an hour and then no less than seven buses came at once yeah um and even in that period when there's a whole crowd of people waiting um the bus drivers will refuse to open the back doors and like make everyone go through the front door and show their yeah you know and scrutinize their transfers and like you know proof of payments and it's just like and people see it and people get uh, like you know frequently people will be waiting for the back door to open they'll be like what the fuck why isn't it right like in uh, similar to other stations so yeah and also like if you compare like in the article i compared like ossington station or another one is like Spadina. Like if you if you look at how easy it is just to walk onto the bus terminal at Ossington, for example, even though that that bus terminal is part of the fare zone. So like boarding any of the buses at Ossington, you don't have to show your fare or anything like that. But the only thing stopping people from basically evading the fare and just walking onto the bus terminal is a sign that says, you know, $500 sign for illegal entry. But there's no one stationed there watching them. Um, so they could have done something similar jane just said like oh don't enter illegally onto the bus terminal but they don't tr- they treat it differently you yeah. know and it i think it's probably because of the people who use jane station are different you know and there's a key there yeah yeah so um basically the the crux of the article is the idea that jane station is designed as a panopticon you know foucault's idea of the panopticon so um, i've heard about it but honestly i've never read Foucault oh yeah well I haven't read much Foucault either but I still I found this passage kind of helpful okay so the panopticon was um it was actually designed by Jeremy Bentham I think his name was and uh it was a way to basically monitor it could be like prison inmates or like kids at a boarding school anything with like a a big group of people that you somehow want to monitor or something and uh the way it works is like there's a tower in the center of a circle and the circle all has like uh, dorms or like cages you know for people and then the tower in the center it can see everybody in those cages or in those dorms but the people in the cages in the dorms can't see into the tower so they're not really sure if anyone's there at the time they're not sure if they're always being watched but the person in the tower can see everyone and um Jane Station's kind of designed that way because when the bus terminal isn't part of the subway fare zone, all of the stairs, you can, anyone can just walk into the bus terminal. But all of those staircases feed into one hallway. And um, on one side, I mean, you guys have seen it. One side of the hallway has the, the fare collector's booth there. And he can see what's going on on both sides of the hallway. Mm-hmm. So pretty much all the traffic that's going in and out of Jane Station, it's... It's controlled and monitored that way. Right. Yeah. And we don't see that same 
panoptic surveillance mechanism at other stations. You know, for example, at a lot of times people um, they point to like High Park mm -hmm. as being very similar because the bus terminal is also not part of the fare zone. But on High Park, for example, one of the entrances leads to like a condo, like a condominium complex. Mm. And that one has just a set of fare gates with no one stationed there. So technically people could just jump over and I'm sure they do, right. you know, but it's kind of assuming that the nice, you know, civil High Park residents wouldn't do that. Exactly. Just, you know, yeah. Jane residents who can't be trusted. With yeah, they don't trust them. Yeah. yeah. So we have to design it in a way that we can control their flow. And yeah, it's kind of scary. <laughs> Yeah, so they're worried about fare dodging. Like, is it is this something that the TTC should be doing, is monitoring people and trying to make sure that, that when I use this uh, essential city service, that I pay for it? Um, the TTC likes to think of us as customers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the announcements start with, dear customers, as mm -hmm. opposed to mm -hmm. uh, whatever, dear passengers or riders. Or dear whatever. city residents, yeah. could, they could say. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's seen as this kind of private exchange as opposed to the provision of a of a public service that everyone should have a right to. So I guess I wonder, what do you guys think about like fair dodging as a problem? Well, you know, I mean, just to build on what you're saying, I think over time, over the last even like a few years, I've seen the TTC get a lot more aggressive about fair dodging as a problem. And one of the ways that they've gotten aggressive is through their messaging and their, you know, advertisements on the subway system. Recently, I guess over the past few months, what we've been seeing quite a bit are like very direct attacks on fair dodgers by using screen grabs from security cameras and putting those on big posters and uh, saying various things like fair dodgers will be punished um, and mm -hmm. using also screen grabs from people who are shown to be tapping in to saying, you know, thank you for paying your fare. And so very like, very invasive, very big brother, like very, um, you know, panopticon kind of like we're watching you mm -hmm. when you do good things and we're watching you when you do bad things. <laughs> so yeah, like Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh Benjamin, you engaged in some watching of the watchers yes. on this issue. <laughs> I like to do that <laughs> from uh, time to time. So you you looked into the fact that this practice of the TTC using you know screen grabs mm -hmm. from the security cameras to shame people and to put up big photos of them all, all over the place, uh, that this is actually in violation of a TTC policy. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, just like you guys, you know, that... When I saw these ad campaigns, that really rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, this seems like an invasion of privacy. And I sort of had a hunch that, I, I think because like TTC has its kind of popular brand, like, oh, we care about your safety, we care about your privacy. They have like the Ontario Human Rights right. Commission on all of their vehicles. And so it's like a very, oh, we care about your rights and that kind of thing. But, you know, this kind of practice seems very at odds with that understanding of human rights and privacy mm -hmm. and stuff so i looked up their video recording policy and it's very clear the policy reads quote uh, the ttc recognizes the need to balance an individual's right to privacy and the need to ensure the safety and security of ttc employees customers and property while video recording cameras are installed for criminal safety security and evidentiary reasons the ttc's video recording systems must also be designed to minimize privacy intrusion 
Um, and it goes on, it says, when recorded images from the cameras must be viewed for law enforcement or investigative reasons, this must only be completed by an individual authorized by the DDM, some department, in a controlled area. Every reasonable attempt should be made to ensure that images are not viewable by other individuals. Mm. So it's, it's, it's so ridiculous, you know. There it says, like, every reasonable attempt should be made to ensure that these images, the ones that are plastered everywhere for all the city to see, are not viewable by other individuals. So it's, it's very obviously, like... And I've been looking out. I'm like, am I in one of these? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting to find myself there. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Because it's actually, if I was, it'd be pretty easy to tell. Like yeah. the, you know, they don't do very much to mask yeah. like who it is. Like, you, you know, there's like the eyes are blurred out or whatever, but it's... It's true. Yeah. And they also say like, you know, we, we care about your safety and privacy. But these ad campaigns, like you're saying, like they could identify you. Mm-hmm. And then what if your boss sees that or... Even like people in your social circle, they could. Yeah. So you talked to a TTC spokesperson about this. Yeah. And wh- how did that go? That was interesting. <laughs> that was like, I was using the kind of journalistic technique of not really getting to the point until you've sort of cornered them mm-hmm. and they have no, they have like nothing to resort to except for the truth. So um, I called, it was the transit enforcement department, mm-hmm. like one of the officials in charge. And uh, he was, like, responding to, like, media inquiries and stuff like that. And I started off asking, um, I just had a question about this video recording policy. Do you know if this is, like, the current one in use? Is it up to date? You know, is, like, the TTC abiding by it and that Mm. kind of thing? And he was like, yeah, it's all up to date. You know, we're abiding by it. So after I confirmed that, I said, so do you know anything about this new Fair Evasion ad campaign? Mm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're aware of that. And I said, so is it in compliance with the, with mm. your policy? Because it says it can only be used for security and evidentiary purposes. And then that was the moment where the guy kind of froze up <laughs> on the, on <laughs> nice, the phone. Nice, got him. Yeah, I got it, got you, you know. And he was kind of like, oh, well, you know, yeah, it, it falls under evidentiary and security reasons. So we're allowed to use it. But that's clearly not the case because these are just public ad yeah, campaigns. Yeah, it's meant to like shame people. Yeah, it's only used. Exactly. I mean, it, I guess it it could be like a like sort of like a public trial where mm. the verdict is passed out in like shame and humiliation. But that's not really something you want, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of wild how unaware the TTC officials are themselves of all these contradictions in their branding and in their policy documents and that yeah. kind of thing. I also remembered one thing, like since the article that I published about the video recording policy, I actually dug a little bit more and it turns out that that fair evasion ad campaign also violates the respect and dignity policy. (laughs) That's also a TTC policy? It's also a TTC policy, yeah, you can find it on their website and it's the one that they have on all the streetcars, you know, it's like Ontario Human Rights, Respect and Dignity, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, like in the definition section, it says like, all people who use the TTC are should be free from discrimination and harassment. Mm. And they define harassment as um, is a pattern of behavior that a reasonable person would consider to be insulting, bullying, humiliating, malicious, mm. degrading, unwelcome, or otherwise offensive to an individual or group of individuals, including frequent insults, demeaning communications, and public humiliation. Right. You know, so that's pretty much what the Fair Evasion ad campaign is based on, this public shaming yeah. and uh it's it clearly violates their own 
respect and dignity policy. So, and I mean, I guess partly it's by the TTC doing this very prominent and like over the top ad campaign. It's also sort of encouraging people to monitor each other um, and mm. sort of like you know if you even if you're a stranger and you're like you know going through the gate terminal and you see other people dodging, you're like shouldn't be doing that, you know, you're being watched or, you know, that's yeah. just not right. And so there's this, this is sort of aura of like criminality that gets like generalized um, where something that should be free is just like, oh, how dare you try to access it for free? Yeah. I think you're stealing. Yeah. You're, th that's how they're framing it. I think the issue is like how they frame it. And then a lot of people get convinced that this is the way we should think about it. You know, whereas you know, an alternative framing that we could provide is, so we call like fare evasion, like when individuals don't pay their fare on every single trip, but like businesses, um, houses, you know, residential areas should be paying more taxes on yeah. the transit system because mm -hmm. it basically makes their, it makes their businesses, makes their homes more profitable on the market. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're profiting from this access to a transit system. Yeah. Whereas we're, you know, Foucault talks about this too, like responsibilizing the citizen. You know, every social problem is your fault. You, you, that one person, and you need to be doing more to make sure that you're, you know, paying your fair share. Well, and this is actually something that uh, Sadia looked into, like the the how old this discussion is about whether there should be a fair or not, hmm. and apparently it goes back to 1912. Yeah, that's hmm. where I looked up that that's when the city of Toronto was first trying to figure out whether, you know, to put a fare in or not. And at that time, you know, some politicians and members of the public very reasonably said back then that, well, we already are paying for the transportation system through our taxes. Why should we, on top of that, be paying fares. And uh, as one council at the time said, quote, we're here to serve the public, not to make money. Wow. Whereas now it's all about, and, it, and this gets to the heart of commodification of public services, right? That rather than feeling like, okay, well, you know, our taxes are funding this. Why should, like, why does each individual person need to pay? Uh, but now it's like, oh, well, you know, it's uh, to access the TTC, it's a, uh, consumption like any other and by not paying at the point of consumption you're actually stealing which is a really warped but hyper commodified way of looking at a public service right yeah and they don't really look at how we could say even the politicians are stealing from us when they mm -hmm. misallocate the funds that we provide them through our taxes for other things that we're not going to benefit from or we have no real say in you know so yeah, and the fact that like the framing around cars in the city isn't like, well, this obviously takes a lot of public assets to fund the construction and maintenance of these roads, make sure that you have all of the public infrastructure required for car use. And then, of course, the all of the harms, the health issues that develop, the pollution, all of those things from rampant car use. And just, you know, the fact that the city just becomes ugly and unlivable. And so, of course, people use more cars to get out of it so they can move to Barrie and they can drive to the Toronto. Yeah. Uh, so then we're, you know, in a sense, this transportation infrastructure just subsidizes people living in Barrie. It's a, that kind of a discussion, of course, needs to be had about what is the proper use of public funds. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in the case of cars, to not pay parking 
it's like $50 fine. Yeah. Whereas if you're evading TTC, uh, the minimum fine is $195. And then the TTC itself on one of its fair evasion posters has said that you could be charged up to $425 for evading. So, okay, well, if a person evaded a $3 fare, but you think they're going to be able to pay $400, whereas someone who has a car, they are charged much less. So the city is obviously prioritizing policing certain kinds of evasion yeah actually one thing i was thinking of that uh like when you when you get written a fine by these fair inspectors usually the fine is like you know 190 250 like it's pretty high numbers but then you go into court and you can petition it Mm -hmm. and usually if you just show up there they're gonna lower it so i think that the actual punishment there is sort of like being forced to take time out of your day being forced to reckon with the bureaucracy mm-hmm. like that's the real punishment you know it's kind of humiliating like you know, you show up to court it's kind of like you know you need to show up in front of your parents and tell them what you've done and this kind of thing it's a very paternalistic yeah and and some people aren't going to go to that court date right like yeah i have a friend who's uh actually an international student and he uh he was ticketed at one point and you know he was told by the inspector actually who caught him that he could go to the court date and the, the fare evasion fee would be lowered. and But he was like, oh shit, like, you know, I don't have citizenship here. Like, if this is like a criminal mm-hmm. thing, I don't want to mm-hmm. go to court. I'm just going to pay this thing. You Poor know. guy. Yeah. But I think it's also, you know, like there have been reports coming out that in terms of the people that are targeted by the fair uh, enforcement officers, that they're going to be certain kinds of people. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we see this whenever there is like policing, right? That there ends up being a bias in favor of hyper-policing marginalized communities of various sorts. So we see, you know, like every few months, there's a story about how, you know, a a TTC enforcement officer choked out somebody. And then there's some like inquiry and it, you know, then you find out actually the inquiry wasn't really done all that fairly and it just mm-hmm. absolved the TTC enforcement officer of any wrongdoing. And, you know, so this this familiar pattern. Well, they, they cooperate with the police a lot, you know. Hmm. Uh, I was reading that it was in 1997 that the Toronto Police Services Board designated um, employees responsible for safety and security in the TTC. So that created a contractual relationship between TTC and the Toronto Police Services Board. And why that's, why that's interesting is that 1997 is around the same time of um, a conservative provincial government that heavily cut subsidies to transit in the city. And so at the same time as you are like drastically destroying any funding infrastructure, you are coming in with an enforcement and a policing infrastructure to just make sure, I guess, that you recoup that loss of funding with people, individual you know, riders' pockets. Yeah, that was under the Mike Harris government where the, the province, it used to give a subsidy yearly to help fund the operations of the TTC. And it hasn't done so since. And so that's meant that fares have continued to increase, you know, far outpacing inflation. Mm. Um, and in that sense, you know, the inability to access transit because it becomes increasingly more expensive is, you know, it keeps certain people out. And in a city that, you know, has enormous amounts of wealth, 
people have to regularly consider like whether or not they should ride the bus somewhere. Yeah. Which then, you know, it is ironic too because it's like the more that you make it expensive, actually, the more that you discourage people from riding transit. And people will say, right, like especially in the inner suburbs in Toronto when there where there's no subways uh, and mostly traveling by bus. So it's a like shitty service and it keeps increasing in price every year. And so you know, people would rather like pull together what little income they have to try to have some shitty car or, you know, just like, I don't know, make some other because they're not going to in the suburbs, you can't ride a bike to places like it would take you forever so it's just like puts people in this really shitty position like it, and it's really isolating then right because like if transit is so expensive and it's so shitty then you're stuck in your shitty neighborhood which you know doesn't really have anything there for you like i think the key is um really changing the way we frame the idea of public services and public transportation even even saying like oh uh, transit should be free it's not actually free because we are paying for it you know mm-hmm. through our taxes we are giving them a lot of money that should be allocated for providing us that service so i think yeah just the way we frame the issue in the public yeah because i guess like if we draw the parallel between transit which i don't think is drawn often enough to healthcare and to public schools yeah where it's like i think especially with healthcare, people do have a very um sort of close to their heart kind of um, orientation to it being free in Canada. And so why shouldn't that be the case for transit? Like, you know, uh, it's not that getting around is not necessary. I mean, like you you need, uh, for a lot of people, you need to get on transit to get to your doctor. Um, And so if you're not, if you're going to prevent people from getting around, then it actually hinders their access to everything else. Yeah, but I do notice that, that making that parallel is actually very effective um and people are often completely on board when you tell them look like we have you know at the point of consumption of healthcare, you don't have to pay you don't go to the doctor and you know pull out your credit card because uh, that's absurd you know that's what like barbaric americans do <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to yeah when it comes to healthcare, right? People have this intuitive sense that it's a human right. And, you know, when when you point out that, well, why can't transit, which could be framed as this right to sort of travel, to access different parts of the city that you live in, why shouldn't it be the same with that? And for example, like people in cars, every time they use the road, they're not paying, unless it's a toll road, you know, you're not paying to use your local street every time you drive up and down it. People aren't paying to use the sidewalk when they walk by Mm -hmm. even though you know someone built that sidewalk it took money to build it but Mm -hmm. we just see it as well that's what it means to exist in a city you know you're going to have mobility you're going to move around Mm -hmm. so why is public transit seen as no no it's this something you have to buy you have to purchase every time you use it i also wanted to say have you guys noticed how every new year's transit is free in Mm. toronto new year's eve new year's eve right um, as if it's a present to the public like oh look how benevolent we are well it is you know who it's a present by it's some like liquor company oh that, really that pays for our transit costs that day so if some liquor company can just you know do that and you know use it as a means to kind of advertise yeah 
and encourage people to drink themselves crazy mm -hmm. on New Year's Eve, then like why can't we as sort of democratic citizens of the state d demand that actually not just one day of the year, but mm -hmm. all 365 days that this be, you know, taken care of. Yeah. I think it's almost, it's dangerous how they offer us like free public transit on certain days. Like, oh, look how kind mm -hmm. these businesses are. Look how kind the government is to you, providing you this free service. But that's part of their framing tactic, you know. It's teaching us to see it as like, oh, this is a gift to me. And that means like ordinarily I need to pay for this, you know. Mm -hmm. Someone's giving this to me at this point. But if we just demanded, like you said, yeah, like this is a public service that I already pay for. I want this to be free all the time. As mm -hmm. There's no fair, yeah. Okay, so what do you guys think about in terms of, you know, like if we have this project in mind, at the very least we are, we can say we would like lower fares, we would like less emphasis on, you know, enforcement of affairs. And then uh, hopefully we can also aspire for a publicly accessible free transit system. But how do we then think about campaigning or pushing for these reforms what are the means by which we can do that why don't here's one idea we could call for a ttc strike like maybe on a weekend when people aren't like not that many people are working and just be like no one you no one used the ttc today oh you and, mean like a strike oh i see that's what you mean you know, like a, a rider strike I like see. like we all agree okay we're not going to ride just so they can kind of feel like feel it hurt in their pocket and realize that we want some kind of change, hmm. if that makes sense. Hmm. Or we refuse to pay the fare on yeah. one day. I mean, that would be ideal. But the only reason I haven't done that is because like, I don't want to get prosecuted or something like that by the TTC, like but calling people to, like, I don't know, you know what I mean? To do, well, I mean, you guys tried to do that Yeah, once. we did. Did you? We did, yeah. We were doing, we were organizing with a, a anti-poverty group mm. um, in, in Jane and Finch. And we, yeah, we, or we tried to organize a handful of people, let's say like around, I don't know, a dozen or more, a few more than that, I guess people, uh, we're going to go down, we're going to get on the bus and like refuse to pay the fare and sort of give out information to the other, ri the riders and hope that the bus driver would be like, okay, this is fine or whatever. And that they, you know, take us to down to Jane Station, where we would have to once again, okay, right, not pay the fare to get on the subway and then go to City Hall and, you know, make a little bit of a, just a, a demonstration about like, well, this and, you know, present a petition or whatever it was. It's a good idea. And so we planned this and, and we showed up that day to do this action. And there were just tons of TTC enforcement officers, as well as, you know, regular police Whoa. just stationed everywhere and not only at the intersection of jane and finch but you know i heard from friends later that they were up further north and further south like there were just cars you know police cars just patrol that's wild and we had just not really considered this as a kind of like you know activists and and campaigners often have this security culture and we didn't think this was such a big deal and so we had promoted the event on social media and, you know, when the TTC kind of notices every time you like say something about them, uh, they, they pick it up. And so they picked up the fact that we were planning this fair strike. And this really, really mild thing. Like it wasn't some like, you know, huge action that we were going to 
try to like disrupt the TTC's yeah, operations. Break off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> And they, you know, they, the, the res- enforcement response was overwhelming. And that's how like, scared they are. I, I guess. Yeah. Like, and it was just funny because well, they we, have nothing better to do. So they all, <laughs> that could, it yeah. was, it was kind of embarrassing because it's like, look, we're just like a hodgepodge group of people. We thought that this could be, we might develop this into a campaign, right? Like, let's try it. Mm-hmm. And then next time we'll encourage another group of people somewhere else in the city to do it at the same time as us. And then we'll build it from there. That was the mm-hmm. kind of initial idea. And uh, yeah, it, it just, it didn't go because, yeah, there was this overwhelming response. We're going to continue chatting with Benjamin and the next part of our discussion will be made available to our Patreon supporters next week. Remember that you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash oats for breakfast. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.